Welcome to the Miracle Channel podcast. Every week, you'll hear powerful messages from world-renowned pastors that air on Miracle Channel, Canada's 24-7 Christian TV station. And if you want to watch more of their messages anytime you want, check out our online streaming service, Corco Plus. Follow the link in our show notes to create a free account in three simple steps. Today on the podcast, you'll hear a message from Jeremy Prest. As the pastor leading the media department at Springs Calgary, Jeremy is passionate about sharing the gospel through TV. Known for his authenticity, he teaches the word in a way that isn't just relatable, but is also powerful. And now, Jeremy Prest will take a fresh look at what it means to have victory in your life. Let's dive into the message. Well, I got a lot to uh, say this morning, and that timer is always my enemy, so I'm going to try and get it all in. Uh, I, I love what I have prepared here this week for you. I just hope I say it properly, because it's, uh, it's been cool kind of walking it out with Pastor and kind of bouncing the ideas off each other. So let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We just pray, Lord, that you just put your anointing on this service, Lord God. Lord, that you speak through me, Lord, that... The words you've put on my heart, Lord, that I'm able to communicate it in a way that makes a difference on everybody's Monday, Lord God. That makes a difference for every person here that goes into a situation, Lord God. That they're able to unlock belief systems, Lord God, and make things new like you do oh so well, Lord God. We just pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Today's title is The Victory is Ours. The Victory is Ours. I actually struggled with this title because it's kind of the... The journey I kind of came on here, it was just, I don't know, it sounds basic. It's a really basic title, but I'll get to that. How many people here watch movies or love movies, actually? Show of hands. Yeah. Movies are huge. When a big movie comes out, some of them break the billion-dollar mark. So movies in our culture are huge. And the thing I love about movies, Tamara hates watching movies with me because <laughs> I often nitpick or make fun, or if, especially if it's a romantic movie. I'm always like, come on, if I said that to you in real life, you'd slap me. Like, that's not real. Come on. And then one thing I always joke, too, is in almost every romantic movie, they, they'll kiss, but in the middle of a talking. And, <laughs> and if you try to do that in real life, it doesn't work. I've done it. I still do it all the time to bug her. She'll be talking, and I'll just go in, and she's like, what are you doing? I was talking. And so I, <laughs> I do it all the time. I suggest that if you want to kind of break the tension, go for it. Actually, it might increase the tension. Who knows? But um, I love movies where either everyone dies or it's really confusing. And Tamara just is like, you're crazy. You're, I don't know what that says about me, but I enjoy the movies that are kind of thinkers. You got to kind of think your way through it, or sometimes you got to jump on Google and kind of figure out if it's like a time loop or something like that. Tamara hates those. She loves it when they're on a beach in love, happily ever after. <laughs> and I'll go to them with her, but I don't love them as much as her. Uh, <laughs> but one thing that I find interesting is we go to these movies watching a character go through a really hard time. Like, I, wanna, I, can, I can almost say every single movie, like I can't even think of one that doesn't do this, every single movie, they go through a hard trial. They go through something that's difficult, but that's the point. They go through this trial, and we're cheering them on because we kind of embody them. We kind of see ourselves in this person, and we kind of hope for them to get through it and, and break through it. Like, Honestly, I think if a movie, let's just say, let's say a movie had no trials, 
person's born, gets raised by a great family, goes to school, great scholarships, finds a beautiful wife, gets married, has great kids, and the movie's over. I think that wouldn't do very good in theaters. <laughs> It'd be very boring. You'd watch it and be like, all right, that was good. But the movies that do the best, like, I don't know how many people have seen uh, Avengers Infinity Wars. Yeah, good movie. Um, anyway, <laughs> the cheering wasn't very big for that, but it's a great movie. <laughs> it's a very, very good movie, but it's interesting. They're all superheroes, and why do you need a superhero? To overcome a huge, huge obstacle, many of them. And um, so this movie did very, very, very good, but they're going through these crazy obstacles time and time again where it's almost impossible. And, um, and so I kind of come to this idea where we watch these characters, we hope for these characters, we cheer them on, but then when it comes to our own life, if you flip the lens around and turn it on us, we blame, we complain, we moan, we groan, but we have more hope for a fictional character like James Bond, where he's going through a lot. And we hope for him, but we don't hope for ourselves. And so it's always kind of, I've always kind of thought of that, where I'm going, it's so bizarre, where we hope and cheer this person on, but we don't even necessarily do it in our own lives. That brings me to my first point. Nothing worth having comes easy. Nothing worth having comes easy. Um, the big example that came to my mind when thinking of this point was like having kids. When Tamara um, was pregnant for nine months and then the labor, the whole thing start to finish is difficult. Like, <laughs> like guys have it so easy. Um, and especially for guys, it's kind of this weird thing because we want to be the hero for our spouse. We want to save them any chance we get. If something's too heavy, we want to pick it up, or at least they should. Don't go for a guy that won't help you out, girls. Um, <laughs> but we want to be there for these girls, and we are just useless from nine months all the way to the delivery. Like, we're just in the delivery room. I was with Tamara for both. I just, this is the best I could do. It's all I could do to help her was just rub her back. <laughs> and it's, you just feel so, like you just want to do more and you can't. And so you, you gain a whole new respect for the strength of a woman. Oh, man, like men on it. Yeah, give them a hand. Because they, women are tough. And um, absolutely. <laughs> if my wife asks, tell her that I said that. Um, <laughs> Uh, so women are incredibly strong, especially when you watch them go through this. And you kind of think, it kind of gets got me thinking at least, what is it, like why did God design it this way? And I'm sure women ask God that all the time. Why God? Um, but it's this kind of balance between the more of the struggle, the higher the value. is kind of this thing, that you, this trend you see through life. Anything that's worth having is usually hard to get to. It's usually a struggle. Um, I pursued Tamara for about five years. <laughs> it was very hard. It was the biggest struggle probably of my life um, <laughs> to try and convince her that she was my wife. And, uh, and trust me, it was, worth, it was worth having. We're in complete bliss now. Um, we, we never fight. <laughs> yeah, right. We fight all the time. Um, but... <laughs> But it <laughs> oh jeez, uh, yeah, I totally lost my thought there. Um, but one thing about kids is this struggle of going through um, pregnancy to labor is the the parents have such an extraordinary value on this new baby that comes into their life. They would instantly die for it, and it's a crazy thing because we don't really know it. And like, but there's this value off the charts, and so I think there's almost a design 
of value after the struggle. Brings me to my second point. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Do you ever ask yourself or find yourself wondering if life has purpose? Brings me to a verse here, Psalms 139, verse 16. Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, your breathtaking body and soul. I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life are all prepared before I even lived a single day. Crazy thought there. Here's another verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. This is kind of crazy. Yeah, it's a big verse. And I think sometimes we fly over these verses a little too quick. So I want to kind of make it a little more personal. I honestly, I just put my name in these verses. For I know the plans and thoughts I have for Jeremy, says the Lord. Plans for peace for Jeremy and well-being for Jeremy, not for disaster. To give Jeremy a hope and a future. Honestly, life's got stuff all the time. And we can't make, we can't get... We need to cheer for ourselves the same way we do a movie character. We need to have hope and a future. And we need to take verses like this and declare it over us. Believe it. Change a belief system of doubt by bringing these verses in and tweaking that belief system. Don't confuse God. Because the natural question for me is, if I'm going through stuff and God says all my days were planned, did God bring that on my life? It's a very natural question to ask. But don't confuse a plan an action plan to get out of something for him bringing it on you. He does not bring sickness, disease at all, but he gives you the tools to get through the plan, to get through the issues. Everything we have is given to us. The definition of a plan here, a plan is a method of achieving something that you have worked out in detail beforehand. You don't build a beautiful house without a blueprint. You don't throw in a single nail into wood until you know the exact end result of what you have. I want you to write this down here. There's a carpenter's rule. Measure twice and cut once. You have to make sure the end product is exactly what you want before you make your cut, your first cut. I don't know if, <laughs> if anyone here has ever built anything. You learned that lesson pretty quick. <laughs> Measure twice, cut once. Brings me to my third point. Begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. You know, um, Pastor Leon, he shared this thought. Yeah, he shared it a number of times. But in writing this message, it kind of just came to the forefront for me, um, where he was telling the story about how he's been at the um, people's deathbeds as they've been passing away as a pastor, and he used to be a paramedic for 13 years. So you can imagine he's been by their sides, by hundreds of people's sides, in this moment where they're going into eternity. And uh, it's a crazy thing to think through, but one thought he says in telling the story of every single person that he was ever by their side is that not one of them said, oh, I wish I had a bigger house and got the fourth bedroom instead of three bedrooms. Oh, I wish I had a nicer car with 300 horsepower instead of 200. Not one of them were objects. They were all about laughter, love, family, m building God's kingdom. They were 
all focused on relationships, on the best things that God has for us. Beginning with the end in mind keeps our focus on what's really important. Um, in this book, where am I at? In this book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, very, very good read, highly recommend it, but the second habit is my point. Begin with the end in mind. And one thing he does is he does this exercise, and I want to do it here with you guys today, is he, he gets everyone to close their eyes. So I'll go ahead and close your eyes. And just imagine, imagine that you're attending your own funeral. It sounds kind of morbid at on the surface level, but just bear with me. You're attending your own funeral, and you're walking through these doors, and you hear the music playing, you hear people being seated, and an usher grabs you and goes to seat you at the front, and you're walking through, and you get to the front, and you see your own casket. You see the flowers, and you see the service starting up, and then you start to look around and see who's all there. And then you start to listen to people talk about you. What is it that they're saying about you? Are they saying that, man, you should have seen his house. Jeremy had a house, woo! Or are they talking about my car? No, I'll guarantee you they're talking about your life, how you lived your life. Think that through. It's, an, it's a really big exercise. I tried to do this with Tamara, and she can't talk about any of this stuff. She's just like, no, no, I don't even want to. She just doesn't want to go there. But I honestly encourage you to do it because you really, really, really make things clear when you begin with the end in mind. Honestly, I hope to see children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren bragging about the love, the laughter, the family, the barbecues, the thanksgivings, the Christmases, regardless of wealth or not, regardless of, of any of these struggles that are so big now, but nothing in the big picture. God's given us the equipment to get through it. It's so good. Honestly, I want you guys to, to do that often. Do it with everything in your life, like even for people getting married. Begin with the end in mind. Often people just get married without even thinking through what it's going to look like, thinking about the, the end game, the big picture. Think about it. If you want to get married, for me and Tamara, like I said, I want lots of kids. I want five kids. She has more say than I do on that, but uh, we're at two so far, so we'll see where we go. Um, but I want lots of kids. I want grandchildren. I want great-grandchildren. I want to have banquets so big that we can't fit it in our house. Honestly, I just I see this beautiful picture of where our marriage is going to go and what we're going to do and the businesses and the church we're going to build and just kind of, that's the picture that I see in kind of in a quick thing. In this book, he also talks about everything is created twice, a mental creation and a physical creation. But, and that works in negative and positive. That's why he wants you to do this exercise is because if you mentally create the positive vision for your life, and you have a goal to get to, of family, love, laughter, wealth, health, all of those things, you can envision it and bring it into a physical creation. So that brings me to Romans 12, 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove yourself for what the will of God is and, which, and that which is good and acceptable, acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. You know, there's this um, story back when I was like eight or nine or somewhere in there um, where m my mom heard a preacher and he was uh, teaching about praying specific prayer. And um, so she, 
we were kind of always financially tight. And so my mom kind of really took this challenge on. The, the pastor was saying, pray specifically, pray to the healing, pray to the financial issue, pray to them, speak life to them, and have it mentally be created and then physically be created. So I remember her literally writing it down. I remember every night we used to get together, hold hands, all five of us. And one of the prayer requests, my mom and dad sat down and figured out what dollar amount they would want to kind of free them up financially and kind of help us get out of debt and kind of move forward. And it was $10,000. So we'd pray. And I, I can remember praying for what felt like forever, seven months maybe straight, every single night. And as kids, it was just... We grabbed hands, we prayed for all these things, and we prayed for $10,000 for our family, that everything uh, helps us out, and we just continued to pray. And uh, it wasn't but a few months later, April came around, and it was my dad's 40th birthday. So my mom uh, surprised him with his family flying in, and we all went into the hotel to uh, uh, surprise him as well. So we had cake there, and all the family was in the hotel room. So when we walked in, my dad was surprised. But then it got to the point where we were opening cards. And so sure enough, my dad, who was the toughest dude I knew, who I never saw cry, never saw six foot four, big burly guy. And then all of a sudden he opens one card and just starts bawling his eyes out. And we were like, what's going on? And my mom comes over, she checks it. And there, my mom sees the, a check for $10,000 in that card. And uh, so we came over, we hadn't seen it yet. And all of a sudden we saw it, but we weren't surprised. <laughs> Us kids were like, well, weren't we praying for that? Why are you so, sh why are you so shocked? Um, and so they're both crying, and, we're, and like I said, we were like, mm, cool, that's great. What should we pray for next? And, uh, <laughs> but but it was, it, I'm being very honest, we really weren't that surprised. Mom and dad were, and the thing that was cool, now that I'm older, looking back, was my auntie wasn't Christian, didn't know we were in financial troubles, and had no idea. She didn't know we were praying for it. We told nobody. And uh, it wasn't $8,400, it wasn't 9326 it was 10000 to the dollar in that, ch in that card. And it was this crazy miracle. Like, literally, I called my parents before because I was like, am I making this up? I want to remember, see if I'm remembering this properly. And my mom was like, yep, no, completely. And my, they told me the whole story again. But it's this crazy, crazy moment about mental creation and manifesting it into a physical creation. Brings me to my fourth point. You've already got it. You've already got it. As Christians, we know that Jesus came, died, and rose again on the third day. And as Christians, we all have this safety net called heaven, which is an incredible thing. Like, the Bible describes heaven as such an amazing, beautiful thing with streets of gold and all the family. Anybody that's passed away will be reunited, will laugh, will have banquets, parties. Awesome. But it doesn't stop there. We can't use heaven as a safety net, although it is. We need to use heaven as a goal to try and bring as many people into heaven as possible, to create disciples, to get people um, saved into the kingdom. You know, God is all-knowing. And so as Christians, God is all-knowing of everything in your life, meaning he knows every storm that's coming your way but he's given you every tool to handle it, as I was saying before. And so the question, so I wanted to find proof of what God's done in, in the Bible to give people the equipment to handle certain situations. And there's a verse here, John, 1 John 5, 4 to 5. It says, Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world over the world's ways is simply the one who believes in Jesus is the Son of God. 
I'm going to jump to the next verse because I'm running out of time here. Paul is getting on a ship with, I think, 260-some people, and they're hitting really rough seas. And so they're getting to the point where the ship is actually breaking down, and they're worried they're all going to die. So Paul's praying, and then an angel appears to him and tells him, Paul, there's an even bigger storm coming. The ship will get destroyed. But if you stay on the ship, everyone will survive. Don't let one person get off the ship. So I found it kind of unique. I was, I was thinking, I'm like, well, why didn't he just say, I've blown the storm out of the way. You're all good. And it's kind of like, hmm, I wonder why. But he did give him exactly the instruction he needed to get through the storm. And so as you read through this chapter, you're going to see that um, there's many situations where men are trying to jump off the boat, get onto safety boats, and Paul just keeps warning them, trust me, I had an angel talk to me, stay on the boat, these are the instructions if we want to survive. And so it's fascinating to read. And sure enough, um, he guides them all the way through this, and they shipwreck, and everyone stays on the boat, and they all survive with this instruction. So it's this crazy real-life example where God gave them the equipment to go through it. It's similar to the story of labor, like I was talking about, pregnancy and labor. Like, some people would say it's, call it a storm, but that's, it's a process. It's a process uh, where there's a huge reward on the other side. The angel didn't take this storm away because there was, there was, they needed to go to a certain place. They needed, I don't really know the full ins and outs of the story quite yet, but it was obviously the instruction was given how to handle it, not taking the storm entirely away. I got another verse here, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. This is in the message. It says, Now te no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He always, he'll always be there to help you come through it. If we forget to begin with the end in mind, we forget that we are on the winning team. We forget that there are always a way, there's always a way through the storm. Um, another verse full of promises is Psalms 91. Um, I, I think I just have the reference here, but I want to write down Psalms 91 and go through it. It is just jam-packed full of promises. But the, what's, a prom, what's the purpose of a promise over your life? To get you through something. If I promise that you're going to have healing, it's because you need to be healed. And there's tons of promises in there. So there's this idea that we have been equipped to handle every single thing that gets thrown our, our way. So make sure to jot down Psalms 91 and do that. But I, I'm out of time here, but I want to ask you, how does your movie end? Have you played it out? Are you cheering yourself on, or are you defeated in the little storm that you're facing, or the big storm? I don't know the situation. There's some seriously hard situations. I don't mean to belittle anything. But we need to believe that we've been equipped to handle every situation. No sickness, disease is too big for God. No, like, honestly, in God's eyes, there's no difference from one disease to another. There's not. And we need to seriously believe that to our core and not allow anything to get in the way of that. We can believe, oh, I've got so many healing stories that I could share with you, but, like, the moment you get defeated in a storm, You've lost all momentum. You can't get defeated. That's why church is so big, so important. Have family, friends surrounding you, believing with you, cheering you on, praying, praying for your marriage, praying for your family, praying for your finances, getting everybody in together, coming to church services like you are today, but also getting plugged in, volunteering, joining the team. Oh, I can t we can tell you story after story after story of families being restored, relationships renewed, just such incredible stories. 
Thanks for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast to hear more great messages from inspiring teachers like Jeremy Prest. Rate this podcast and write a review if you haven't already. And share this message so others can be encouraged by this teaching too. So subscribe, rate, review, and share. We hope you were inspired by today's message. God bless.